0: Hi everybody, this is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week we're going to play a show that was first broadcast on March the 30th back in 2015. Hope you enjoy it.
1: It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon.
2: I better get it out of the safe now.
0: This is Paul Bro. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. My goodness. Ooh, I I usually record this on Friday night or Saturday, but I'm doing it on Sunday this weekend. Boy, you guys had quite a night last night, didn't you? <laughs> Ooh, you're looking just a little... Got a little headache there, do you? Yeah, looking a little under the weather. A little too much, uh, too much, too much last night. Well... That's okay. Settle down. Half an aspirin, maybe a cup of strong coffee, and uh, we're going to get you all situated here with some good radio shows, because we have a little radio noir in the form of a Lux radio theater tonight. We don't usually play those, but tonight we will. We also have a, a very funny episode of the Jack Benny Show, and we're going to finish things up on the streets of Dodge City, Kansas, with an episode of Gunsmoke. So, a great lineup oh you poor people you yeah you you, just put your feet up relax a little bit okay we're going to get started in just a minute Glad to have you aboard. You guys are really looking kind of punk. I, I, I don't mean that as an insult, so I, I hope I can kind of cheer you up here over the next couple of hours. What's that, Chester? Yeah, I, th- I think so, too. Yeah, well, Chester says uh, you guys need some Alka-Seltzer. Maybe, maybe we can find an Alka-Seltzer commercial there, Chester. and play it. Maybe that'll make them feel better. All right, we're going to start things off this week with a little radio noir. This week we're going to get started off with an episode of Lux Radio Theater, which we, didn't, we just don't play very often. This one was originally broadcast back on the 24th of March in 1954. It's based on a film, it's a radio adaptation of a film that premiered in 1953 entitled A Blueprint for Murder, now, the film was produced and directed or not, it was written and directed by Andrew Stone, who was a very prolific Hollywood director and screenwriter. Had like twenty-seven, thirty credits to his name. But uh, none of the films that he either wrote or directed are real well known. Case and example is this one tonight, A Blueprint for Murder. The film originally starred Joseph Cotton, uh, Gene Peters and Robert Merrill. But the... Um, Radio adaptation we're going to listen to tonight is featuring Dan Daly and Dorothy McGuire. It's a real clear recording. It's a pretty good story. I hope you enjoy it. So here we go. This is the Lux Radio Theater, as originally heard March 24th, 1954, a blueprint for murder.
3: Lux presents Hollywood. Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, brings you the Lux Radio Theater, starring Dan Daly and Dorothy McGuire in a Blueprint for Murder. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. Irving
4: Cummings. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight's play, a blueprint for murder, is a spine-tingling mystery. The thrilling drama of a romance which was overshadowed by the suspicion of murder. It's the quandary of a young man who suspects that the l- lovely young widow of his brother may be a diabolical poisoner. And as our stars, we are popular Dan Daly and Dorothy McGuire, creating two unusual roles in this suspenseful motion picture from 20th Century Fox. Now, Act One of A Blueprint for Murder, starring Dan Daly as Cam and Dorothy McGuire as Lynn Cameron
5: the telegram was waiting for me in new orleans the telegram from lynn i took the next plane back and rushed to the hospital late that afternoon the doctor was able to give us some real encouragement
6: and so i think our worries are over mr cameron but she was a mighty sick little girl you still don't
5: know what was wrong?
6: Not for sure. The tetany test was negative. Tetany? Those muscular spasms she was having, they're quite characteristic. Well, I'm sure she'll have quite a comfortable night. I understand you're the child's uncle, is that right?
5: Yes, her father's dead, and my brother. I'm very attached to both children and their stepmother.
6: Now, Mrs. Cameron's had quite an ordeal. Why not uh, take her home? We, uh, will have a special nurse on duty, and if anything at all yes, comes uh, up... I'll, well. I'll try and get her to leave now.
7: Oh, I wouldn't think of leaving here if it weren't for Doug. Oh, poor little boy. He doesn't know what to make of all this. I'll phone him and tell him I'm coming. There's a booth down the corridor. Cam, now that you're here, how about spending a few days with us?
5: I'd really like to, Lynn, but I should get back tomorrow. We're opening a new field in Venezuela.
7: (laughs) You're always roaming all over the world. Did it ever occur to you that we might like to see you once in a while? It's so important to the children, especially Doug. He's never quite got over Bill's death. And he's so fond of you.
5: Let me see what I can do. Maybe I can stay over a few days.
7: Oh, I wish you would. Well,
5: here's your phone booth. I'll look up a public stenographer. I got some letters and a couple of telegrams. I'll I'll meet you at the house.
7: Wonderful. We'll expect you for dinner. And Cam, thanks for everything.
8: Gosh, Lynn, do I have to go to bed? Can't we play just one more game? It's
7: way past your bedtime, Doug, and tomorrow's school. But Uncle Kim's only going to be here for a few days.
5: And we're going to have fun for those few days, too. How about the ice show tomorrow?
9: Oh,
8: boy. Gee, I wish Polly could go, too. It was awful last night, Uncle Kim. The way she kept yelling... Don't touch my feet.
5: Yes, uh, I know, but I think we should try and get that out of our minds, Doug.
7: Dad was just like that when he died. Just like that? Well, I'm afraid Doug's letting his imagination run away with him. But he was. All stiff and funny, too. Just,
8: Just the same as Polly.
7: Is that right? Well, there was some similarity, I suppose. But the doctors all agreed that Bill had virus encephalitis. Anyway, there must be a lot of things with the same symptoms.
5: Yes, I suppose so.
7: Have you told Uncle Cam about your baseball team, Doug? Boy, have we got a team. I knocked two home runs last week.
5: Uh, If we were up in Boston, Slugger, we could see the Red Sox play. Say, how about letting Doug spend the summer with me?
7: Oh, please, Lynn, please. Well, why not? Sounds wonderful. Oh, boy.
5: (laughs) Uh, Let's see. I've still got the sailboat out in the Cape. I don't want to take care of the weekends, and during the week, we...
8: Lynn took us up to Lake George last summer, and I learned a lot about boats, Uncle Cam...
5: It seems to me Lynn's been mighty good to you.
8: She sure has. Well,
7: good night, Uncle Cam. Good night, Doug. Good night, Lynn. Sleep well, dear, and just call if there's anything you want. I will.
8: See you in the morning, Uncle Cam.
5: You've been wonderful. The way you're bringing up those kids...
7: They're nice kids. It hasn't been hard.
5: When their mother died, I thought no one would ever be able to take her place. They really love you, Lynn. I don't see how they can help it. I always thought Bill was a lucky man, and now I'm beginning to realize just how...
7: Oh, excuse me. Hello? Yes. Yes, we'll be right there. Cam, that was Dr. Stevenson at the hospital. Holly? He told us to come right over. She's had a relapse.
10: Cam! Well, well,
11: when did you hit town? Hello, Fred. Well, come in. Hey, Maggie, look who's here. Oh, this is wonderful. We haven't seen you in ages. Had your breakfast? Fred, uh, I've got
5: bad news. I wouldn't be here at this hour, except it's Polly, Fred. Polly's dead. Dead?
12: Cam? Well, of all the wonderful surprises.
2: Take it easy, honey. Some terrible news, little Polly Cameron. She's dead. She's what? I just can't believe it accident? No,
5: no. She took sick.
12: When, Cam? When?
5: Early this morning at the hospital.
12: Oh, what a tragedy. And Lynn and poor little Doug, how's he taking
5: it? Well, they're both under sedatives. Your breakfast, please go ahead.
12: You'll have some coffee anyway. I'll get another cup.
5: I have no right to barge in like this, and I should have phoned you first. That's a fine way to talk to an old friend. Fred, you're still handling the estate, aren't you?
13: Yes,
11: yes, of course. Cam, what was wrong
5: with Polly? Well, the doctor seemed rather uncertain. He doesn't know. Sometimes it's hard to tell, I suppose, but there's one thing about it that bothers me. Well? Apparently, Polly had the same sort of convulsions that Bill had before he died.
8: Cam,
12: are you sure of that?
5: I'm not sure of anything. I, I only know that Polly kept screaming, don't touch my feet.
12: That's that's very curious.
5: I don't see anything curious about it at all. It's, it's just that I'm afraid there might be something hereditary in all this and that it could hit Doug, too.
12: Cam, you weren't here when Bill died, were you? No. Well, what did the doctors tell you he died from?
5: Virus encephalitis. Sort of a sleeping sickness.
12: Yet in Polly's case, they don't know? Somehow back in my mind, that don't touch my feet rings a bell.
2: Maggie, please. She still writes for those pulp magazines. You know what an imagination she has.
12: This has nothing to do with imagination. This was research I did at a medical library a couple of years ago. I had an idea for a story. That's
4: what I thought, a story.
12: Well, maybe you're right. Forget it.
5: Well, if there's something on your mind, say it.
12: Well, I was looking up a murder case. The victim also had convulsions and kept screaming, don't touch my hand. So? He died of strychnine poisoning.
13: Oh, Maggie, for heaven's sake, how can you even suggest such a thing?
12: I only mean there's a, well, a similarity.
2: You know nothing about what's happened, nothing. Maggie,
5: don't you think the doctors would have recognized strychnine?
12: Well, I don't know. They didn't in the case I looked up, and they apparently don't know what killed Polly. Let's see what the encyclopedia says about convulsions.
5: Why do you always have to dramatize everything? You're really going off the deep end, Maggie.
2: Well, look it up if you want to. She sees a man take a pocket knife to sharpen a pencil, and right away she starts building up a murder case.
12: Well, don't both of you jump on me. I only mentioned it as something that should be looked into. Anyway, here it is in the encyclopedia.
4: Let me see it.
2: Well, they they list eight causes. Tetanus. Only tetanus would have required a cut.
12: Obviously, it wasn't rabies. Epilepsy?
5: There's no history of it in the family.
12: With all these others, like a brain tumor, there would have been earlier indications. All except one. Well? Read it.
5: Poisons. Especially the alkaloids such as strychnine. That doesn't prove anything. No, of course not. Uh, I'd like to use your phone. I'd like to call Dr. Stevenson. Uh...
12: So we, well, we thought of the possibility of strychnine, doctor.
6: You're serious about this, Mrs. Sargent?
12: I don't mean to be rude, doctor, but you do admit you don't know what that child died from.
6: Is this your idea, too, Mr. Cameron?
5: I haven't any ideas, doctor, but you told me it wasn't tetany, and yet that's what you put on the death certificate.
6: Because that's what we were treating the patient for. She responded to the calcium, so we continued it. As a matter of fact, I suggested an autopsy.
5: Oh? Lynn couldn't stand the idea. I agreed. Nothing could be gained by it.
6: Mrs. Sargent, just how do you think the child got the poison? I don't know, of course, but
12: I don't see how it could have been accidental.
6: I hope you realize what you're saying. Meanwhile, Mr. Cameron, I'm afraid I don't want any part of all this.
12: I'm sorry I ever mentioned it. Come on, Cam, let's go.
5: Thank you for seeing us. You're quite welcome, Mr. Cameron. Who could have done it, Maggie? Who?
12: Oh, several people for instance. For instance, Lynn. Good day, Dr. Stevenson. you. what's got into
5: you making a crazy crack like that about Lynn?
12: Now, doggone it, I'm getting mad. I only said it was possible she could have done it, and it is.
5: And you've got her all wrong. She certainly made Bill a good wife. He was very happy with her.
12: Do you plan to stay on?
5: Till the end of the week.
12: The three or four days, huh? Can I drive you anywhere? No, no thanks. Think it over, Cam. It sounds ridiculous, I know, What is it?
5: Say hello to Fred. I'll I'll see you both in a day or two. I was with Lynn most of the next few days. More and more, I realized what a wonderful person she was. Her warmth and affection for Doug helped so much to soften the blow of his sister's death. Never did Maggie's suspicions seem more fantastic than now.
7: Must you really leave tomorrow, Cam?
5: I've stretched it as long as I could, Lynn. But I'll be back as soon as I can. You can rely on that.
7: I don't know what I would have done without... Yes, Anna?
14: It's the phone, ma'am, for Mr. Cameron. It's Mr. Sergeant.
7: I tell him I'll call him back later, Anna. No, no, no. Go on. I'll run upstairs and see if Doug's asleep. I'll take it in the study, Anna.
14: Yes,
3: sir. And I just wanted to know if you're still leaving in the morning.
5: Yes, of course. Why?
3: Well, I... I hesitate to talk about it on the phone about your brother Bill's estate. Well? Under the terms of his will, Lynn shares in trust. She receives only the interest unless...
2: Well, unless what? Now, I don't want you to think we're jumping at conclusions, Cam. We're not. It's just that I'm... Unless what? Unless both children were to die. Both Polly and Doug.
5: Fred, what the devil are you trying to say?
2: Well, it could provide a motive.
5: I'm amazed at you.
2: I know how all this must sound, Cam, but...
3: I think you ought to stay over another day so we can talk it over.
5: All right. All right, I'll see you in the morning.
7: Tam, anything wrong?
5: Wrong? Oh, no, no. Fred just called to say goodbye. Oh,
7: I hate that word.
5: I told him he was being premature, and I've decided to stay a day or two longer. That is, if it's all right with you.
7: You know it is.
5: Was Doug all right?
7: Oh, yes, thank goodness. I'm worried about him. He doesn't look at all well.
5: It's been the same for him as for the rest of us. Mm. Such a terrible shock.
7: No, but Doug hasn't been looking well for weeks. I'm thinking of taking him out of school Cam. maybe a trip to Europe. Why? Well, he needs a change. Everything here only reminds him of his father and Polly. And it'd be good for me, too. How long would you be away? Oh, I don't know. Maybe a year or so. That long? Hmm, might be very good for him. Visiting all the little out-of-the-way places and just taking it easy. I'm not worried about his schoolwork. He's such a bright boy. If we could take some sort of study schedule with us,
9: and that way, could be
2: there's no point in getting excited about it, Cam. We're just talking about it among ourselves. But I can't close my eyes to the fact that Lynn did have a motive. I don't care how it adds up. You'll never convince me that Lynn is capable
11: of murder.
12: Bill left a lot of money, Cam. Almost a million dollars.
11: And now you tell us she's thinking of taking Doug abroad.
12: Yes, to those out-of-the-way places in
11: Europe. Well, what do you want me to do?
15: Be objective. That's all.
12: Cam, I've gone through every book on poison cases I can find. There have been plenty of women who were
15: poison murderers. Stop it, Maggie. Please.
12: Madeline Smith, Florence Maybrick, Lydia Trueblood, dozens of others... Many of them were young, beautiful, intelligent, and cultured.
5: You still refuse to answer a very simple question. If it was strychnine that killed Polly, why didn't the doctors recognize it?
12: Because they weren't looking for it. Here's the dope on lots of famous poison cases. Not in one instance did a doctor call the turn based on medical diagnosis.
2: You just can't dismiss it as impossible, that's all. At least I can't.
12: Here's something else you might look over. This happened in Philadelphia. More than a hundred people killed by arsenic before even one of the cases was suspected. Yet that's the only case reported in Philadelphia in the last 20 years. All right.
5: How do they account for it?
12: Because there are so many diseases, apparently, that simulate poison symptoms. And the idea of murder seems so utterly incredible to the doctors that it doesn't even enter their minds.
2: Don't think I'm sold on this theory, Cam, because I'm not. Too many things don't make sense. If Lynn were guilty, for example, she'd have had Polly's body cremated. Lynn did want Polly cremated.
5: I talked her out of
2: it. Bill wouldn't have wanted it. I see. I, I I didn't know.
12: Then Polly could have been poisoned. Cam,
2: we we just can't dismiss this lightly. Well, I can and I will. And if Doug should also die, Cam, then what? Doug, would you ever be able to forgive yourself? You're a lawyer. What do you suggest? I'm afraid there's only one thing to do. Talk to the police. Get a court order for an autopsy. All right. Let's get it over with.
7: Cam? Aren't you coming in? Dinner's ready.
5: Hmm? Oh. oh.
7: What's the matter with you? You've been staring out of that window for half an hour. Ever since you got that phone call. Where's Doug? I told you. He's having dinner at his friends down the street.
5: Lynn... uh... I've got to talk to you.
7: Well, can't it wait until after dinner?
5: No, it can't wait any longer. Lynn, I I don't know how to begin. That phone call before, it, it was about Polly. Polly was poisoned.
7: Poisoned? Yes. Oh. Why, it just couldn't be. Cam, there must be some mistake.
5: I'm afraid not.
7: But how? How could it have happened?
5: The police think it was intentional. Police? Yes, it was their medical examiner who performed the autopsy. They want you and the servants down for questioning tomorrow morning.
7: Oh, but this is impossible. It doesn't make any sense. The police, what what gave them the idea of performing an autopsy?
5: Lynn, you know Dr. Stevenson wasn't certain what caused Polly's death. Well, uh, there was a reason for thinking It, it could have been strychnine. The symptoms are almost identical. And
7: you knew about this, and you didn't even mention it to me.
5: I didn't think they'd find anything wrong. There was no purpose in upsetting you. I I know it's miserable being dragged down to the police for a lot of stupid questions. Oh, well, that
7: can't be helped, but there's one fact we can't get away from. If Polly was poisoned, then somebody did it. And it's up to us to find that somebody.
5: Yes, ma'am.
7: I'll need your help more than ever now. I'll be here. Thank you.
5: was questioned the following morning at police headquarters lieutenant cole seemed almost apologetic he dismissed her in a matter of moments then he brought fred and me to captain
13: pringle's office well lieutenant where's mrs cameron i just let her go captain she was very cooperative but i'm afraid we didn't learn very much nothing from the servants either they're all very loyal to her What'd she have to say about them nothing but the best but it all seems to boil down to mrs cameron or the cook or the maid or the chauffeur they were the only ones in the house the night little girl took sick, except little boy, of course. They had dinner
16: at 7 o'clock. Polly took sick about 11.30, and no one admits giving her anything to eat in the
13: meantime. Yet Strickland would have started to work in half an hour or so. Well,
16: that's about it, I suppose. You don't sound very hopeful, do you? These poison cases are always dillies.
13: It's be very tough proving anything. Now, don't get the idea we're laying down, Mr. Cameron. But there have been only two poison murder convictions in the whole city of New York in the last 50 years, both based on confessions. There's nothing else you want us for? Uh, just one thing more.
16: We're having your brother's body exhumed, Mr. Cameron. Why do you have to do that? I think you'll agree that if we find out that he was poisoned too, it may go a long way toward helping us find the one we're looking for. He's right, Cam.
13: You start on a case like this, and you never know where it's going to
16: lead. We'll be in touch with you, Mr. Cameron. Thank you.
5: Fred, where will you be late this afternoon? Maggie and I? Well, we're meeting for cocktails at the plaza. Any chance of joining us? Not for cocktails. But I may want to see you. Why? Well, I may have something. I may need some advice. <laughs>
12: Cam, Cam, over here.
5: Hello, Maggie. Well, I've just come from the library. Oh, no, not you, too. I went through all those books on toxicology. Lynn couldn't have done it, only now I can prove it. How? You die of strychnine during a convulsion. You die of suffocation.
12: Well, what does that mean?
5: It means that somebody gave Polly a second dose in the hospital. In the hospital? She was getting better. How could convulsions start all over again nearly 20 hours later?
12: I never thought of that.
5: No, and neither did the police or anyone else. Besides, I called the medical examiner, and he had to agree.
12: Well, of course, in all the strychnine cases we looked up, they either died in a few hours or they got well.
5: And it proves that Lynn is absolutely innocent.
12: But how could the hospital have given polystrychnine? By mistake?
5: That's what I've got to find out. I'm seeing Dr. Stevenson again in the morning.
9: Uh-huh.
6: It is, Mr. Cameron. The patient's chart. The only medicines administered were all quite routine. They were supplied by our hospital pharmacy downstairs. What
5: medicines? What was Polly given
6: the night she died? Mm, at 10 o'clock, she was given calcium chloride, pepsin, in capsule form. We've been giving her other calcium preparations, but she'd complained of the disagreeable chalky taste. So at, uh, at 6.30, I switched to these. She was given a second capsule at 10.30. Well... No ill effects indicated. She took the third capsule at half past eleven. Half an hour later, the convulsion started.
5: Could the strychnine have been in that last capsule?
6: Well, it's possible, of course. But I'd like to remind you, it came directly from the hospital pharmacy. Well, I'm scheduled for surgery. I'd like to check with you later, if I may.
5: Thanks. I appreciate your help.
6: Frankly, though, I, uh, I don't know what more I can add. (laughs)
14: Mr. Cameron, you want to see me? I'm Miss Brownell.
5: The supervisor said you're the nurse who was on duty here the night my niece died.
14: Oh, yes, and I can't tell you how sorry... Do you I...
5: recall Dr. Stevenson asking you to have a prescription filled about
14: 6.30? Well, yes, vaguely.
5: May I ask where you took the prescription?
14: Well, the hospital pharmacy downstairs.
5: They never saw that prescription. The pharmacy downstairs was, was closed. They close at 6 o'clock every night. They just told me so.
14: Oh, of course, I remember now. I was just about to send it out when Mrs. Cameron offered to get it filled.
5: Mrs. Cameron?
14: Yes, the child's mother. I remember it very clearly now. Is that all, sir?
5: Yes, thanks. But that wasn't all. In the morning, the police sent for the nurse. She reported to Captain Pringle's office.
13: Now tell us, Miss Brownell... How did you happen to ask Mrs. Cameron to get the
14: medicine? Why well, I didn't ask her. The hospital pharmacy was closed, and she offered to get the prescription filled herself.
16: Who delivered it to the hospital?
14: Well, she brought it back.
16: What time was that?
14: Oh, I imagine about 7.30.
13: The capsules were in a bottle? Yes. The bottle was sealed?
14: No. No, it was just an ordinary bottle cap.
16: Then it would have been possible for someone to have tampered with the
13: capsules without you knowing about it huh?
14: Well, yes, I suppose so.
13: That'll be all, Miss Brownell. Thank you very much for coming here.
14: Not at all. Goodbye.
13: Who's next? Uh, Miss Cameron's chauffeur, a fellow named Wheeler. Okay, bring him in. Now then, Wheeler, you say Mrs. Cameron left the hospital just after 6.30 and you drove her to that drugstore. Yes, sir. What time did you return to the hospital?
17: Oh, about half past seven, uh, a
13: little earlier, maybe. How long did it take to get it filled?
6: Mm, ten
13: minutes, maybe. Then you should have been back at the hospital long before 7.30. Well, on our way back, Mrs. Cameron stopped off at her apartment. Oh? Why? She didn't say. How long was she there? Not very long. A few minutes. You remember if she had the bottle with her when she went up to her apartment? Well, she uh, well, she must have. Uh, she put it in her purse. You're positive? Uh, yes, sir. That's all, Willie. You can leave now. Thanks. Yes. Well... Seen the nurse, the chauffeur, the cook, and the maid. Only, where are we? Who's waiting in your office? Uh, Mrs. Cameron, brother-in-law, that lawyer, sergeant, and sergeant's wife. Okay, we'll talk to Mrs. Cameron. Um, we better have a stenographer in here. Uh, that sounds encouraging. I can dream, can't I? Please sit down, Mrs. Cameron. Oh, uh, you don't mind if the stenographer takes some notes?
7: No, not at all, Lieutenant. I want to cooperate fully.
13: Well, first of all, Mrs.
16: Cameron, the nurse at the hospital tells us you offered to get that prescription filled.
7: That's right, I did.
13: But instead of returning to the hospital, you went home? Yes. Why'd you go there, Mrs. Cameron?
7: To pick up some things for Polly. What things? Um, comb, brush, toothpaste, things like that. The night before, there wasn't time to think of anything except getting the child to the hospital.
16: Yes, of course. Um, how long would you say you remained in your apartment?
7: Only a few minutes.
16: Did you open the bottle containing the
13: capsules?
7: No, why should I?
13: Then you had the chauffeur drive you back to the hospital where you handed the medicine to the nurse. Is that right? Exactly. You admit handing the medicine to the nurse.
7: Admit? That's a strange word.
16: You realize, Mrs. Cameron, that the fatal dose was definitely administered at the hospital. That's been proved.
7: So I understand.
16: Well, our next step is to find out who was responsible.
13: You and Mr. Cameron were the only visitors? That's right. You and the hospital attendants were always present while Mr. Cameron was there. I know. So that rules him out.
7: And there was always someone present while I was there.
16: Nevertheless, the poison was somehow slipped into the calcium capsule, and all the medicine came directly from the hospital pharmacy except the bottle you gave the nurse. Now, this bottle was in your possession when you stopped off at your apartment. This gave you the opportunity to put the poison into the capsules. What's more, Mrs. Cameron, you're the one person with a motive.
7: I'm sure you must realize what you're saying.
16: Yes, yes, I do. The death of the two children would make you a very wealthy woman. You wanted the child cremated. You opposed an autopsy, though there was doubt as to the cause of the child's death, and Dr. Stevenson requested it.
7: You think I did this thing? That I killed Polly?
13: It's beginning to look that way, Mrs. Cameron.
7: I love that child as if she were my own. I couldn't have done it. I couldn't. I couldn't.
13: Well, that'll be all for now, Mrs. Cameron. If you'll just wait in the other room, please.
7: I'd like to speak with my brother-in-law.
13: That's where you'll find him.
7: I'd like to speak with him alone.
13: Very well, Mrs. Cameron. Just come with me.
7: Cam, they think I did it. They think I killed Polly.
5: Yes, I, I know.
7: Oh, I'm, I'm trying to keep calm, but... Mustn't get unnerved. I. I don't know how much longer I can keep this up. But I must. I must. Lynn. If. If things should go against me, Cam, what about Doug? From the way they talked, I may be held over for a trial or something.
5: Well, yes, I suppose Cam, so. Cam,
7: if it does happen, will you take Doug until it's all over? Of
5: course. Of course I will.
7: And try. Try not to let him ever hear about this. He mustn't know.
5: But that day when I left police headquarters, I left with Lynn. They'd released her again, and for three more days, nothing happened. Nothing at least that we knew about. But they were very full days for the
16: police. We've checked and double-checked everything, Mr. Henderson. That's why Cole and I have come to you. We're ready to turn the case over to the district attorney's office.
2: You know how I feel about all this. I need a lot more answers than I've got now. Maybe we can give them to you. All right. What about the other pills in that bottle? There were a dozen capsules
16: altogether. child was given three. She had no reaction from the first two. Third was it, Strickman. I'm
2: talking about the other nine. Negative? Exactly. You've drawn nothing but blanks. Where would she have got the poison? In a drugstore? Not if she's half as smart as you think she is.
13: What about the apartment? Well, in sector science, we've gone through it twice with experts. Same with everything in the medicine cabinets. No trace of strychnine or any other poison. Yeah.
2: then this is the case you want us to bring before a
13: judge and jury? Huh? Yes, sir, because we know she did it. She
2: must have done it. All right, leave everything here, all the reports. And keep digging. I can't take it to trial unless we get more evidence.
13: Okay, okay, we'll keep
2: trying. Nothing happened. Nothing at all. At the end of the following week, I went to the district attorney's office. I've told you a dozen times, Mr. Cameron, if we bring this woman up for preliminary examination, I'm absolutely certain no judge will hold her over for trial. Not on this evidence. You believe she's guilty, don't you? Well, what if I do? Captain Pringle
5: does too, so does Cole. She's planning to take my nephew to Europe. Six months, a year, even five years from now, he'll suddenly die in some obscure place. You could be right, Mr. Henderson,
16: and then by the
2: time we hear about it, the body will have been cremated. That's all quite possible, Pringle, but it's supposition, not evidence. If there's no chance of winning the case, there's no sense bringing it into court. You mean you base your reputation on winning cases, not on losing them, so you play only the sure bets. He meant nothing of the kind.
5: But
13: if we don't come up with some new evidence, we're dead. So is the boy. The boy's life is in your hands.
2: I don't appreciate your putting it quite that way. There's no other way to put it. I think there is. I think that we... Hello, this is Henderson. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, okay, thank you. And that was the medical examiner. There is no evidence of poison in connection with your brother's death. That at least would have been some help to us. That still doesn't alter the need of protecting my nephew. All right, Cameron. I don't like this, but under the circumstances, I suppose I have to. Pringle. Yes, sir. Get out a warrant for the arrest of Mrs. Len Cameron.
3: We pause now for station identification. This is the CBS Radio Network.
5: Lynn agreed it would be better for Doug if he stayed with me until it was over. The boy and I moved in with Fred and Maggie Sargent. Then came the hearing. We got exactly nowhere. All the judge did was echo what the district attorney had been
4: saying right along. The state has failed to offer any tangible proof that Mrs. Cameron put strychnine in a calcium capsule. Undeniably, Mrs. Cameron had a possible motive for such a crime, but as the defense pointed out, she's not the only one. Mr. Whitney Cameron, her brother-in-law, Also stood to inherit the fortune should both the children and Mrs. Cameron die. Mrs. Cameron is a woman of high repute. Witnesses have testified that she was an affectionate and indulgent mother to both her foster children. I find that the state has failed to establish probable cause, and I hereby order the defendant
13: discharged forthwith. Yes, that's that, Mr. Cameron. We're licked, unless we can find new evidence. You spoke to her a few minutes ago, just before she left the courtroom. What'd she say? She asked about Doug. He's been with you all week, hasn't
5: he? Yes, at Fred Sargent's house.
13: The boy know about what's been going on?
5: No, I I, I told him she was called out of town, Chicago. I asked her just now if I could keep the boy until tomorrow. She agreed. I said I'd bring him home in the morning. She's pretty you huh? No, that's just it. She doesn't realize I've had any part of all this. She thinks it's been entirely a police matter. It's a tough break for all of us. I can't leave that boy in her hands. I've got to get him away, and I've only got until tomorrow. Well, Uh,
16: just don't you do anything foolish, Mr. Cameron. Don't you do anything you'll be sorry for. The way things stand, the boy belongs with her. She has legal custody. Legal custody so she can
5: poison him, too? You all know she's guilty. What do you do about it? You throw up your hands and offer your sympathy. Now, look, you're all upset. That's perfectly understandable. But why don't you just... It's losing my mind, that's
16: all. Now you stop by tomorrow. You do that, Mr. Cameron. You bring your lawyer friend. Maybe... Maybe we can figure something out.
5: All that night, I tried to think of something. Fred and Maggie, too. Some legal way of getting dug away from her. It was no use. There just wasn't time. The next morning, I brought Doug back to live.
7: I'm sorry I've kept you waiting, Cam. I took Doug upstairs to show him some presents I brought for him. He seems so glad to get home.
5: Yes, I'm, I'm sure he is.
7: He was telling me all about the plans you two have been making, about spending the summer together.
5: Yes, I'm looking forward to that as much as he is.
7: This isn't easy to tell you, Cam, but I'm afraid we'll have to postpone it. Remember I told you I was planning a trip to Europe?
5: Well, yes, but I have just got to
7: get away from all this unpleasantness. You can understand that, can't you? It's all been such a nightmare.
5: When? When do you want to go?
7: Well, I've been lucky. I've got reservations on the Victoria, and it's sailing tomorrow night.
5: That soon? Mm.
7: We'll probably be gone for about a whole year. I'm planning quite an itinerary. We'll spend two or three weeks in England, and then France, Switzerland... And then,
9: if
5: Doug I left the house a few moments later. There was only one thing left to do. I went first to the steamship office, and then to one of those little stores that sells garden
2: supplies. Well, if you're looking for something to kill ants, I think this ought to take care of them. Uh, what is this stuff? A liquid or a paste? It's a liquid. They put honey in it to attract the ants, and then of course the arsenic does the rest. But if you got any children, you better be careful where you put it. Yes, yes, I will. You know, it's a funny thing. We got lots of insecticides today that don't hurt humans. But people keep on asking for these old standbys.
5: You certainly seem to carry a variety. What are these things? These white pills. (laughs) Innocent looking, aren't they?
2: They look like aspirin. Aspirin? (laughs) Not quite, mister. Every one of these pills is stamped with a W. There, you see? That identifies them. But what are they? Strongest stuff we ever carry. Rodenticide Kills rats and gophers. Put out by a Midwestern concern. Arsenic? Strickland. Enough to kill a horse. Well, good luck with the ants, mister. Come back again. When the
5: Victoria sailed the following night, I was aboard. Doug was delighted to see me. Lynn seemed rather pleased herself after the first shock of surprise. Later, when Doug went to bed, she met me in the cocktail.
7: <laughs> I think this is wonderful, Cam. But now, really, this isn't just a sudden impulse to take a boat ride.
5: Doug, believe me, he didn't doubt me for a moment.
7: I'm older and wiser.
5: Well, it's really quite simple. My firm had me down for a trip to France. And I
7: thought you said Venezuela.
5: I felt now was as good a time as any to make it.
7: All right. And now the real reason.
5: Well, standing by while you went through all this horrible ordeal was as miserable for me as it was for you. I wanted you to know that.
7: You're making this trip just to tell me that?
5: (laughs) It isn't one of those things you can say in one night while someone's packing trunks. Not if you want to sound convincing.
7: Oh, I see.
5: Still don't believe me, huh? You're a hard woman.
7: And when did you decide to come along?
5: When you first told me you were going to Europe. Why then? Because that was the moment when I realized how much I'd miss you.
7: I wish I could believe that. No. No, I take it back. I want to believe you can. And I do. I do.
5: My plan couldn't have been working more smoothly. It could have been a wonderful trip if only the circumstances had been different. There were moments when I was horrified by the enormity of what I was going to do. And those terrible moments of doubt when i wonder if Lynn weren't innocent. But at the bottom of everything was the overwhelming fact that Polly had been murdered. It was our last night at sea. My time had finally run out.
8: Where's Lynn, Uncle Cam?
5: She's waiting for me out on deck, Doug. I told her I wanted to come down and say goodnight to you.
8: There's a big dance in the ballroom, huh?
5: It won't be long now before you'll be getting all dressed up and going to dances, too.
8: You want to bet? I hate dancing. Uncle Kim, can't you stay with us in England?
5: Oh, I'd like to Doug, but well, I've got to earn a living, you know.
8: Well, then when will I see you again?
5: Oh, I don't know. Maybe I'll get a chance to fly over during the summer.
8: You promise?
5: Okay, I promise. Oh, you'll have a wonderful time in Europe.
8: I would if you were alone.
5: Now, don't you worry about that. Right now, I want you to go to sleep. Okay. I'll see you in the morning before we dock.
8: Good night, Uncle Cam. Have a good time tonight.
5: Thanks. Good night, boy. I went to my stateroom and put it in my pocket. That small bottle that I'd filled with poison I'd bought the day before the boat had sailed. I met Lynn. I suggested a cocktail in the lounge before we went to the dance. I'd rehearsed this scene a hundred times in my mind. Now my mind was numb. The idea of taking the life of a human being was like a hideous dream.
7: Bacardi cocktails. Remember, Cam? Remember? Of course you wouldn't. It was just that you and I first met at a cocktail party and they served Bacardi's.
5: But I do remember that the party was for you and Bill Hmm? just before you two got married. Mm -hmm. I wish I'd met you first. I thought you were the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen. Why, I can eat...
12: Hey,
7: be careful.
12: What? Oh,
5: no. How clumsy can oh, I get? Oh,
7: don't be so upset. I've spilled a few cocktails in my time. Wait for me, will you? It won't take long to change. I'll be back in a moment.
5: The waiter brought another drink and went back to the bar. I put my hand on the little bottle in my pocket. It would be so easy. So simple. But my hand wouldn't move. It was as if it belonged to someone else. I'd have to find another opportunity later tonight. But suppose I was wrong. But Fred agreed. and Maggie, the DA, the police, all of them agreed. Only Lynn could have done it. If I could just be certain. Lynn was back now. We drank our cocktails and went to the dance. It went on and on as if it would never end. And then suddenly...
7: Oh, no No what? Oh, can't you hear? Old Lang Syne, silly Means the end of the dance
5: The end of the voyage
7: And it's been wonderful
5: Feel like walking? Mm. How about a turn or two around the deck?
7: I'd love to I'd better have a wrap, though, hadn't I?
5: Yes, you'd better Give me a key I'll get your coat I knew then that I just couldn't go through with it Out on deck, I took the bottle from my pocket And dropped it into the water I picked up a wrap in her stateroom, and then as I was leaving, my eye caught the bright array of fancy bottles on her dressing table. Perfume, lotions. It seems crazy, but somehow I sensed an association between those bottles and the one I had thrown away. I stood there looking at them. They weren't all cosmetics. There were others, too. neatly arranged in a little traveling kit. Medicines, things for first aid, and a bottle of aspirin. Suddenly, I was back in the store and the clerk was talking to me.
18: Aspirin? <laughs> Not quite, mister. Strongest stuff we carry. Enough to kill a horse.
5: I opened the bottle and dumped out the pills. They were all aspirin. All except three. Three pills just a little different from any of the others, and stamped with a W. <laughs>
19: Cam,
7: don't you think it's time to call it a night?
5: This is the last night we'll be alone for a long time. How about a good night drink?
7: Fine, I'd like that.
5: Your stateroom's closer than mine. Let's go in, and I'll order something from the bar.
7: You're not drinking. What's the matter, Cam?
5: Nothing, and nothing really. I. Just the unhappy thought that it's all over.
7: Oh, the trip. I'm sorry it's over, too. But now tell me something, and I want the truth. Why did you really take this boat? You know why? I know the reason you gave me. It's all very flattering. But it's a little difficult to believe. Why? Oh, I don't know. Of course you are the sort of man who might do crazy, impulsive things.
5: Like going to Europe so I could be with you for five days? Yes.
7: Cam. Your hand. Your hand's shaking. What is it?
5: It's nothing. Nothing's wrong.
7: You know something? This drink tastes funny. It's it's bitter.
5: Really? Hmm. Uh, Let me see. Mine seems all right.
7: That's just my imagination, I suppose.
5: No. Oh, not your imagination, Lynn. A few minutes ago, when I was in here getting your wrap, I found a bottle of aspirin over there. Oh? Three of the tablets in the bottle were different from the others. They had a W on them, Lynn. That's the trademark of a tablet containing strychnine.
7: Cam, for heaven's sakes...
5: Why were those pills different from the others?
7: Because they were another brand. But I refused to go through all that again.
5: Yet they were in the same bottle.
7: Well, why not? I'd been taking another kind of aspirin. I had a few left over, so I put them in a new bottle to save space. Is that so unusual?
5: Lynn, the W is the trademark of a poison.
7: Ah, so that's the real reason you came on this trip. You were behind all those ridiculous accusations from the start.
5: You still say they were just aspirin?
7: Of course they are.
5: That's good. I'm relieved. I'm very relieved. Why? Because that's why your drink tastes a little peculiar. I put one of those pills in your cocktail, and you've just taken it.
7: I don't think we have anything more to discuss. Ever. Get out, Cam.
16: Just a moment, please. Who are you? My name's Connolly, Mrs. Cameron. I'm ship's detective. Uh, Mr. Cameron sent for me as a witness.
7: You've been listening to us? Yeah. As a witness. So that's what you've been expecting. An hysterical admission that the pill contains strychnine. You never give up, do you, Cam? Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you. The the tablet was harmless.
16: Mr. Cameron, seems you've made a very unfortunate mistake. If you'll
5: excuse me, I'd like to leave.
7: This sort of thing's getting to be a habit with him, Mr. Connolly.
5: Connolly, wait a minute. Look at your watch, Lynn. It's been almost five minutes since you took that drink. Right now, your life can be saved, even another five minutes, but beyond that, you'll die.
7: You know all about strychnine, don't you?
5: Lynn, please, please, if it was strychnine, let me call a doctor before it's too late. But
7: on the other hand, if the tablet was nothing more than aspirin, there wouldn't be much point in calling a doctor now, would there? And if I were to admit that it did contain strychnine, there still wouldn't be any sense in phoning for a doctor. It's a sort of even Stephen, isn't it? Death by strychnine? Or death by the electric chair. Take your choice.
5: Lynn, it's five minutes past one. Every second is bringing you closer to a horrible death. Don't be a
7: fool. Strange, isn't it? You seem to be the one who's going to pieces, not I. You know, it just occurred to me, if I should die, you're the one who'll be facing the electric chair. Or hadn't you thought of that? It must take nerve to kill someone, Cam, to sit by and watch someone die. How would you like to have a death on your conscience? My
5: death. This is too much for me. Now, did you or did you not give this woman strychnine I gave her a pill marked with a W that I took from that bottle on the dressing
7: table. Then it was absolutely harmless, Mr. Conley. You have nothing to worry about. Lynn,
5: please, you don't have much time. Tell
7: me, Mr. Conley, what are your impressions of this man? Would you say he had character, honor, integrity? I'm sure you would. But I'm afraid his looks are quite deceiving. Let me tell you about him. He lived in my home, as a guest, as a relative, as a warm friend. But all the while he was accepting my hospitality, he was taking everything I said, every incident that occurred, and was conniving to build up a case against me. Oh, but his betrayal didn't end there. Even after the court threw out his ridiculous charges, he kept on and on. But this last attempt, this is the most contemptible of all. You must really be proud of yourself, Cam. Only nothing's happening to me. Even you ought to be convinced by now you're being an idiot. A complete idiot. You were there with me the night that Polly died. You heard her screams. You saw the horrible agony she went through. Do you think that I, that anyone who'd seen that, would take the same chance of dying in that same horrible way? Do you? Well... I've been an even bigger fool than you. You took me in completely. I was even falling in love with you. All right now, get out. Get out or I'll call the purser.
16: I assure you that Mr. Cameron will leave at once. This is the most outrageous thing I've ever witnessed. You realize, Cameron, I'll have to make a full report of all this?
5: Go ahead, make your report. (laughs) I went to my stateroom. I must have been sane Blindly insane How could I have been so wrong? Apparently, Polly's death was due to one of those impossible accidents That couldn't happen but did A million to one shot a Mistake by a careless clerk in a drugstore I was horror-stricken at the thought that It was only by the merest chance that I hadn't murdered her What a mess what a complete, miserable mess I've made of everything. I wondered if I...
3: Cameron,
11: Cameron, come along, hurry. You're wanted in the surgeon's office right away.
4: Mr. Cameron, I'm Dr. Wells. Mrs. Cameron is inside. Another few moments and it would have been too late. She found
5: Dr. Wells as soon as we left. Uh, Doctor, she... she live? Yes, Mr. Cameron. She'll live. Lynn Cameron was convicted of murder in the first degree. Her sentence, life imprisonment. And so to the names of Madeline Smith, Florence Maybrick, and Lydia Trueblood, and all those other young, beautiful, but evil poison murderers was added that of Lynn Cameron. Something to remember? Perhaps. Doug and I, we're trying to forget.
4: Now, here's Mr. Cummings with our stars. Please step forward, Dan Daly and Dorothy McGuire. Well, I must say you both really stepped out of character tonight to play two unusual roles.
7: There's nothing an actress likes better than to play a part entirely different from her last one.
4: And what was your last one, Dorothy?
7: The part of a secretary in Three Coins in the Fountain for 20th Century Fox. It's in color and cinemascope. And Clifton Webb, Jean Peters, and I went to Italy to make it. I wonder
5: I'm not getting anywhere in this business. All the pictures of me are made in Europe. I saw Night People, which stars Gregory Peck and Broderick Crawford... One of the most exciting fillers I ever saw. And that was filmed in Berlin. Why don't I get those parts? I wasn't even considered for an Academy
4: Award this year. (laughs) What a terrible oversight. Why was that, Dad? Can't imagine, unless it's because he didn't make any pictures.
7: (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what you do. You find a fountain and you throw in a coin and make a wish.
4: Now, where is he going to find a fountain around here? Doesn't mind that. Where are we going to find a coin? <laughs> I haven't been working. You'd have me in tears if I didn't know you're going into a picture tomorrow. Oh, yeah. We're making no business like show business now.
5: Well, it isn't the money, Irving. I just miss the love scenes with those Lux girls. It's not the real thing on radio. Yes. <laughs>
7: Well, I can tell you that Lux is the real thing when it comes to complexion care. Lux soap is the favorite of our loveliest stars.
4: Including Dorothy McGuire? I wouldn't be
7: without it, Irving. Now I hear you have a delightful show for next week. We
4: certainly think so. It's a charming romance and one of Paramount Pictures' most delightful screen comedies. Welcome, Stranger. And we have a fascinating trio of stars. First, a brand new personality, Pat Crowley. Then, one of the most lovable character actors in Hollywood. Barry Fitzgerald, and one of the screen's most handsome comedians, Cary Grant. It should be just great, Irving. Good night. Good Good night. night, And all our time. (laughs) Lever Brothers Company, makers of Lux Toilet Soap and Lux Liquid Detergent, invite you to be with us again next Monday evening when the Lux Radio Theater presents... Welcome, Stranger, starring Cary Grant, Barry Fitzgerald, and Pat Crawley. This is Irving Cummings saying goodnight to you from Hollywood.
3: Part in our cast tonight were Yvonne Patey as Maggie, Fred Mackay as Fred, Harry Sher as Doug, Jonathan Hall as Dr. Stevenson, Barney Phillips as Captain Detective Pringle, Jack Crucian as Lieutenant Detective Cole, William Conrad as the district attorney, Joyce McCluskey as the nurse, Herb Butterfield as the judge, and Jimmy Eagles, Charlie Seal, John Larch, and Eddie Marr. Our radio play was adapted by S.H. Barnett, and our music was composed and directed by Rudy Schrager. This is your announcer, Ken Carpenter, reminding you to join us again next Monday night to hear Welcome Strangers, starring Cary Grant, Barry Fitzgerald, and Pat Crowley. Every Thursday, the English Republic Company brings you the Lux Video Theater. Consult your local that. newspaper for time and station. This is the CBS Radio Network.
0: From March 29, 1954, that was the Lux Radio Theater and their presentation of the 1953 film, A Blueprint for Murder.
17: Something familiar. Something.
16: Peculiar.
20: Something for everyone that a comedy, comedy tonight, tonight. Ah! Something appealing Something appalling Something for everyone a comedy tonight <laughs> Nothing with kings, <laughs>
18: Nothing with crowns Bring on <laughs> the lovers, liars <laughs> and clowns ah! Situation, no complications
4: Nothing portentous or polite <laughs> Ready, Ready to tomorrow,
9: tomorrow. <laughs>
0: well, are you ready to laugh out loud? It's time for the Jack Benny Show on our Comedy Corner. And this week we have a very funny episode that was originally broadcast. Uh, well, actually, this was one of the rebroadcasts after he went to television. They spent a couple of years uh, playing some of the uh, better shows uh, from the radio archives. The recording we have of this was made on January of 1954, January 17th, 1954, and it's very funny. Uh, the name of it is Jack Gets a Traffic Ticket, and here it comes.
16: The Jack Benny Program.
5: Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Rochester, Dennis Day, Bob Crosby, and you're Shirley Don Wilson.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, tonight I'd like to take you back to last Wednesday. After rehearsal, Bob, Crosby, Dennis, and Jack dropped in at the corner drugstore for a bite to eat. Hey, fellas,
2: our regular table over there is empty. Yeah, come on, Dennis. Okay. Well, I'll get the waitress, and we'll order. Oh, Miss? Miss?
21: What do you want, Mac?
2: We'd like to place our order.
21: Okay, here's the menu. Thanks. <laughs> now,
2: let's see. I don't know what I want. Hmm. I think I'll have the hash. The hash? That's right.
21: Okay. One order of leftovers for a gambler. <laughs>
2: Never mind, waitress. Cancel the order.
21: Throw it back in the pail.
2: (laughs) Gee, I don't know what to have.
21: Hurry up, Mac. I ain't got all day.
2: Now, don't rush me. What kind of a looking table is this anyway? There's a half lit cigarette in the ashtray. There are fingerprints all over the plate, and there's lipstick on my water glass.
21: What are you, a customer or Boston Blackie?
2: <laughs> now look, I don't want any of your sarcasm. Just bring me a ham sandwich and a cup of coffee.
21: Okay.
15: Say I'll have the same and a glass of orange juice, and make sure that it's minute made.
21: Why does it have to be minute made orange juice?
15: Well, I'm helping out a relative who's not doing too well. <laughs>
17: Well,
2: what do you know? All right, Dennis, what are you going to have?
17: Well, let's see. uh, I'll have the chopped liver, the matzo ball soup, and the kafulta fish.
21: Okay. One Pat O'Brien special.
17: Dennis, what are you going to have to drink? Oh, I'll have a Charlton malt milk with uh, five eggs in it. Five? Dennis, how come you want so many eggs? I know a hen that's not doing too well.
2: Yes, just get our orders.
21: Okay.
15: Say, Jack, are you going up to Pebble Beach and playing my brother Bing's uh, pro amateur golf tournament?
2: Oh, I may, Bob, if my game keeps improving. I've been doing uh, pretty well lately. I think golf's a silly game. Oh, you do, Dennis. Well, let me ask you something. If it's such a silly game, why are people like Ben Hogan, Sammy Sneed, Lloyd Mangrum, and Fred Wamper playing it?
17: Because they can't sing. (laughs)
2: Well, I'll show you how ridiculous that is, Dennis. Bing Crosby is a good golfer, and he's one of the greatest singers in the country.
17: Then how come he has to sell orange juice?
2: (laughs) Oh, be quiet. I don't know why I get into these conversations, but will you, before I eat...
21: Here's your grub, fellas.
2: (laughs) Uh, Thanks.
21: And the boss sent this over with the compliments of the house.
2: Gee, a new bottle of ketchup. (laughs) Isn't that nice?
21: Do you want anything else?
2: No, that'll be all, miss. Okay. Gee, she's a charming girl. (laughs) I wonder how she'd look in an ermine bathing suit.
15: Hey, fellas, why don't we have some music while we eat? There's a jukebox right over there.
2: Oh, swell. Anybody got change for a quarter? Well, I have. Good. Go put a nickel in. (laughs)
17: Now, uh, wait a
15: minute. How about you putting a nickel in for a change?
17: Well... Go ahead, Mr. Benny. Put a nickel in. But everyone in the store will hear the record, won't they? Well, so what?
2: Well, that doesn't seem fair. Why should I put in a nickel, a whole bunch of total strangers can listen. To it. Oh.
15: What's the difference, Jack? Go ahead. Be a sport.
2: Okay. Let's see. Here's the Bell Sisters' latest record. See, there are two of them. Wait a minute, here's one by the Ink Spots That's a trio Boy, look at this The Fred Waring Choir Now, there's a bye
9: (laughs) Say,
17: Mr. Benny, one of my records is on it
2: Yeah, Jack, play that A solo? Well, okay, here goes
10: waltzing together to a dreamy melody when they called out change partners and you waltzed away from me now my arms feel so empty as I get And I'll keep on changing partners till I hold you once more. Though we danced for one moment, and too soon we had to part in that wonderful moment. Something happened to my heart. So I'll keep changing, partners till you're in my arms and then, oh, my darling, I will never change partners again. wonderful moment, something happened to my heart, so I'll keep changing partners, till you're
2: Dentist, you'll have to do it on the show sometime
15: Yeah Well, let's get out of here, huh?
2: Okay Who gets the check this time? It's, it's your, your turn. turn Oh, yes Miss Miss, I'll take the check
21: Here you are Hmm Well, pick it up It ain't radioactive
9: <laughs> Look,
2: don't be funny Here you can keep the change.
17: Telephone call for Jack Benny. Telephone call for Jack Benny.
2: Oh, excuse me, fellas.
17: It's in that second booth.
2: Oh, thank you.
18: Hello? Hello, Mr. Benny. This Rochester. Rochester, how'd you know I was here at the drugstore? I called CBS. They told me you were out to lunch, and I had a hunch it wasn't Romanoff. <laughs> well, what'd you
2: call me for, Rochester?
18: I thought I'd better. You had a phone call from Mr. Liberace.
2: Oh yes, he's going to be a guest on my television program. Uh, what did Liberace want?
18: Well, he said he knew it was highly irregular, and he doesn't want all his salary in advance. But would you be able to give him a hundred dollars of it immediately?
2: A hundred dollars? I guess so, If it's urgent. What does he need the money for?
18: Toothpaste.
2: (laughs) Okay, I'll give it to him. And Rochester, when he plays the piano on my TV show, I'm going to play my violin. So you better get it ready.
18: I did, boss. I took it out of the case, and one of the strings is broken.
2: Well, I have to pass the music store, so I'll pick up the string myself.
18: And that ain't all that's wrong with your violin. What else? It's full of termites.
2: Termites in my violin? That's awful. How can I get rid of them?
18: Play
9: it! Play it!
2: (laughs) Never mind. I'll think of something.
18: Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, say, boys. Now what? There were a couple of other messages. Your dentist and your barber called.
2: What'd they say?
18: They're both ready. You can pick them up.
2: I'll see you when I get home. Goodbye. (laughs) Ah,
18: Goodbye.
21: Hello. Yeah, this is Mabel. Oh, hello, Gertrude. How are you? You'll never guess what. Mr. Benny took me out last night, and we drove up to the top of Mulholland Drive. And what happened? Mr. Benny tells me we're out of gas. Yeah, I've heard that line before, too. But when he tells you he's out of gas, he's out of gas. I had to walk clear down to Sunset Boulevard to get a gallon. What? Why didn't Mr. Benny go for it? He didn't want to leave me alone in the car. <laughs> you know, Gertrude, it's too bad he ain't in the armed forces. I'd tell him to take a USAFI course on business management so he'd know how to improve relations between employer and employee. Sure there's a USAPI course for that. No, honey, if your boyfriend Clarence in the Navy took it, it wouldn't help him convince the Admiral that he should get another stripe. The only way Clarence can get another stripe is to inherit a skunk. (laughs) Oh, I gotta disconnect you, Gertrude. My buzz is flashing. I'll let you know when I hear from Sylvester again. Yeah. Don't take any wooden nickels. Bye.
2: Sorry it took so long, fellas. Well, I'm going on to Beverly Hills.
15: Anybody want to lift? Oh, uh, not me, Jack, really. I think I ought to go back to the studio and run over a couple of numbers with the orchestra.
17: Say, I want to go to Beverly Hills, too. Can I ride with you? Sure, Dennis. Let's go. My car's across the street.
2: <laughs> it's a little cool out today, isn't it, Dennis? Yeah.
17: Say, Mr. Benny, can't we go a little bit faster?
2: What do you mean, faster? We're in Beverly Hills already. We've made every light.
17: That one on La Brea changed three times before we got through it.
2: Well, that's a wide street. We made good time.
17: Well, if you don't mind,
2: I'll get off here. Okay.
17: I'll see you later. I gotta get home.
2: Wait a minute, Dennis. If you want to go home, why'd you come all the way out here to Beverly Hills? You live in the opposite direction.
17: I know, but this way I get a longer ride on the bus. But, Dennis...
2: Goodbye, Mr. Benny. I I can't understand Dennis. That kid drives me nuts. Maybe I ought to hire a singer who's a little more sensible. Then if he had more sense, he'd want more money. That would drive me nuts, too. Yeah, I'm better off the way I am. Well, there's the music store. Oh, 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 here's a parking (laughs) place. Gee, I'm lucky. Here's one, too. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder if I can get in that space there. I'll have to back in.
17: What? Hey,
2: why don't you watch where you're going? It's reckless drivers like you who are a menace... Don't
18: holler at me. It was your fault. My fault? Well, it must have been. I was parked.
9: <laughs> what?
2: You're the one who got chummy.
9: <laughs> I ought to have
2: you arrested. Oh, well, now, don't make a federal case out of this. Look at the way you scratched my car. What are you complaining about? You put a dent in my fender. How can you tell? Oh, a well, smart Alec, eh? Well, for your information, I've never had an accident. I've been driving this car for 25 years. You bought it secondhand, huh? What? The dealer's name is still on it Honest Geronimo. Well, I'm not going to stay here and argue with you. I got things to do. Uh-oh we got to put some money in the parking meter. Hmm. The meter says expired. Let's see, I got 12... I get 12 minutes for a penny. It'll take me about three minutes to walk to the store. About three minutes back. That's six minutes. Five minutes to get waited on. That's 11. The store may be crowded, so I better allow for another five minutes. <laughs> That'll be 16 minutes Well, there's no use rushing I'll put in two
9: pennies
2: (laughs) Well, I got my violin string I'm sure glad it was the A string that broke I'm always so embarrassed When I have to go into a store And ask for a G string (laughs) Well, here's my car. I might well. Have... Say, hey, what's that? On! Oh, for heaven's sakes, a parking ticket. This is ridiculous. I haven't been gone over 12 minutes. The meter says expired, but there must be something wrong with it. Well, they're not going to get away with it. I'm going to call the Beverly Hills Police Department and find out about this. I'll go in this drugstore. Where's the phone booth? I wonder what the number is. I'll call information.
14: Information.
2: Say, miss, I want the number of the police department.
14: The Los Angeles Police Department of Michigan, 5211.
2: No, no, miss, I want the Beverly Hills Police Department.
14: I'm sorry, that's an unlisted number. <laughs>
2: Well, Thank you, anyway. Well, if I can't get them on the phone, I'll go over there. Well, here it is. The Beverly Hills Police Station. What a swanky place. See, marble staircase, stained glass windows. Look what it says on the door. Booking department. LAUGHTER Fingerprints by appointment only. <laughs> well, here's the traffic bureau. Miss, I'd like sit to... down, please. Thank you. Miss, I'd like you to... want to
22: complain about a traffic ticket. And uh, now, before we go any farther, let me get your record out. What's your name? Jack Benny. Benny, Benny. Oh, here it is, Jack Benny. Say, we haven't gotten anything out of you for a long time. <laughs> The last entry was 25 years ago.
15: 25 years ago?
22: Yes. You were charged with assault and battery by honest Geronimo.
9: <laughs>
2: all right, all right. Now
22: let's see. I'll bring this card up to date. Yes. Uh, at that time you lived at 366 North Camden Drive.
2: It's still the same address.
22: I see. And your occupation was listed as comedian.
2: Hmm. It's still the same.
22: Mm-hmm. And your weight was 160 pounds.
2: It's still, still the same
22: And your age was... Still
2: the same <laughs>
9: mm.
22: Now, let's see, a uh, color of eyes Oh, yes, they're still blue, aren't they?
2: Well, frankly, I've never noticed
9: <laughs> Now,
3: look, miss
22: uh, One moment, please Hello? Yes, Chief. Yes, that man was in and he paid his fine. Yes, that's right, $50, and he said it would never happen again. Goodbye.
2: A $50 fine? What was it for?
22: Driving through Beverly Hills with a top down.
2: Well, what's so terrible about going through Beverly Hills with a top down?
22: He was driving a garbage truck.
2: (laughs) Now, Miss, about this ticket of mine... Now, I happen to know that the meter where I was parked was definitely fast. And I don't think it's now, fair... Now, look, mister,
22: I can't settle this. If you want to see the judge, that's up to you.
2: Well, I do. Well,
22: then you'll have to wait in the next room with everybody else.
2: All right. Gee, what a bunch of characters. I better sit down and... Hey, there's Rimley. Oh, Frankie! Frank! Hmm, what's the matter with me? It's only his picture on the wall. <laughs> well, I might as well sit down. Uh, pardon me, sir. Would you mind if I sit next to you?
17: Uh, not at all. In fact, I'd appreciate it.
2: Appreciate it why? I'm
17: a, a pickpocket. pickpocket? Oh, you got nothing to worry about. You ought to pin it to your underwear type if I ever saw one.
9: (laughs) Hmm.
2: Tell me, chum, what did they nab you for? I was over parking. Oh. Oh, you like Judge Bailey. I was up before him last month for sentencing. What'd you get?
17: 30 days, his watch, his gavel, and a pocket edition of the Kinsey Report.
2: You mean you spent 30 days in the Beverly Hills jail? Oh, yeah. They had me at Solitary. That must have been pretty tough. You said it. Nothing but bread and champagne. Champagne? Domestic. Oh,
9: that's
2: awful.
22: Benny. Yes, miss. You're next. Right this way to Judge Bailey's chambers.
2: Okay. Good luck. Thanks.
17: He keeps his wallet in the left hand. I don't care.
2: <laughs> Your Honor, I ordinarily don't make trouble, but I'd like to pretend. Well, it's you again. Uh, <laughs> You? You're the judge? Who do you think I am
4: in this black robe, Mandrake the Magician? (laughs) What? When you said don't make a federal case out of it, you were talking to the man who could.
2: But, Your Honor... Quiet. I'm ready to pass sentence. That'll be $52. $52? Wait a minute, it's only $2 for a parking ticket. What's the extra $50? You had your top down. What's that got to do with it? You mean that thing isn't a garbage truck? <laughs>
9: garbage
2: truck? Now, wait a minute, Your Honor. I'm a citizen of Beverly Hills. I've lived here for 25 years. I'm a taxpayer, and I know my rights. I'm not going to pay any $52. If you try to find me that much, I'm going to take it up with... I Ladies and gentlemen, when a fellow needs a friend, he needs a helping hand. And the hands of the Big Brothers have helped thousands of growing boys to find the way to a useful life. Since the first Big Brother movement was formed in 1904, to the many thousands of men who daily volunteer to help, I say congratulations for a job well done. If you are interested in being a Big Brother to some needy boy, write Big Brothers of America, Philadelphia 3, Pennsylvania. Thank you.
9: The
5: Jack Benny program is written by Sam Perrin, Milt Josephsburg, George Balzer, and John Tackerberry, and produced and transcribed by Hilliard Marsh. As usual, Jack Benny and all the gang will be back next week at this same time. See you then. Good night.
3: This is the United States Armed Forces Radio Service.
0: came to us all the way from January the 17th, 1954, the Jack Finney Show. And Jack gets a ticket. Very funny. Boy, he was funny. So many uh, actors over the years have emulated parts of his act or his mannerisms. Two that come to mind are uh, Kelsey Grammer and Fraser. admittedly said that Many of Frasier's mannerisms were based on Jack Benny, and why not? They were, they were funny, and they certainly worked. Another one I noticed is Kevin Spacey. If you, if you watch him, a lot of times he'll fold the arms and, and uh, have a blank stare much the way, the way Jack Benny did. Dennis Day sang the song Changing Partners, which was a popular tune in the early 50s. Dennis Day uh, is very good, in my opinion, and strictly my opinion because obviously he was a very popular singer but he was good on like Danny boy or Irish uh, Irish tunes not so much on some of the popular tunes that Jack had him singing on the show and you might even hear that and wonder why would anybody why would that be a chart topper changing partners well the reason why is it's really a pretty song when it's done by the original artist patty page
20: we were waltzing together to a dreamy melody when they called out change partners and you walked away from me now my arms feel so empty as I gaze around the floor And I'll keep on changing partners Till I hold you once more Though we danced for one moment And too soon we had to part In that wonderful moment Something happened to my heart So I'll keep changing partners till you're in my arms and there. Oh, my darling, I will never change partners again. That wonderful moment Something happened to my heart So I'll keep changing partners Till you're in my arms and there Oh my darling, I will never Change partners again
0: was a big hit for Patty Page in 1953. It was a follow-up to the Tennessee Waltz. Don't you love the melancholy horn and that, that muted horn? Oh, gee. She was so good at uh, singing those sort of, that's the best word I can think of, melancholy songs. I'm a sucker for those kind of songs. Anyway, I love songs in minor key. I'm told. I i don't read music, but I'm told that I like that uh, sort of sad uh, type of song. Don't really remember that song because I was only seven or, oh, what, five years old, I guess. Four years old in 53, but uh, I do remember Patty Page. And I remember my uh, grandparents had a, a record player, and they had uh, several Patty Page songs. They were on 78s, and I remember playing Doggy in the Window over and over again when I was just a little, little guy back there in uh, Long Beach, California.
9: Now. oh
0: Dylan there in Dodge City, Kansas. We are going back to 1870s. We are going to walk down Front Street with Matt and Chester. We're going to see Doc and Kitty, the whole gang on Gunsmoke. We've got an episode tonight we've actually never played on any of our shows over the last six or seven years, and that's that's true. I don't know why, but we haven't, and it's a good recording. And so we're going to play it tonight. This one was originally broadcast on CBS back on September the twenty fourth, nineteen fifty five. And this one deals with uh, Indian relations. In fact, it's called Indian White. And with all of the racial tensions that uh, we seem to feel around the world these days, this uh, this program will sound rather timely. So here it comes, gun smoke and Indian white.
2: got the time, Chester?
1: Why, Mr. Dillon?
2: Why? (laughs) I'd just like to know what time it is, that's all.
1: Well, yes, sir, I figured that, but I wondered how important it is.
2: Well, it isn't this important, Chester, believe me.
1: Well, see, if it was, I could run over to Mr. Hightower's and find out. Mr.
2: Hightower?
1: Yes, sir. His watch broke down and he sent it to St. Louis to get fixed, so I'd give him the loan of mine. But I can still go in and look at it whenever I need
2: to. Oh, well, that's a very good arrangement, Chester. Yes, sir.
1: I figured time's a whole lot more important to a man like him than it is to me. It ain't but seldom it matters none one way or the other where I'm concerned.
2: You understand? Oh, I surely do. Yes, I do. I understand, Chester. Yeah.
1: Why did you want to know, Mr. Dillon?
2: I mean, about what time... You're making me sorry I asked, Chester, but I'm supposed to meet a man at the Dodge house at 2 o'clock.
1: Oh, well, it ain't no near 2 o'clock yet.
2: Well, how do you know?
1: The sun. It lacks 15 minutes of being 2 o'clock.
2: Chester. Yes, sir? Why don't you sell that watch to Mr. Hightower?
1: Oh, I wouldn't want to sell that watch. My Uncle Arthur gave me that watch, Mr. Dillon. He got it from a fellow on the road. Get Rappanek out and with... stay out. And don't you come back in this store ever again.
2: Mr. Jonas.
6: Well, Leo, knee uh, Don't talk back to me now. Now just get.
2: What's that Indian kid up to now? I told you he's not an Indian. Hey, boy. Hey, boy. Oh, look at him go. He ain't waiting for nobody. Look, Chester, there'll be a man called Davis waiting for me at the Dodge House. Will you go tell him I'll be along directly? Well. Yes, sir. Oh, hello, Marshal. For a minute there, I thought it was that Indian kid back. He ran on down the street, Mr. Jonas. You ought to do something about him, Marshal. Oh, why? Well, you heard about them Cheyenne busting out of Fort Dodge yesterday, didn't you? Yeah, I heard. Well, wait till they massacre some people around here. Then what'll folks think of that boy running loose? Why should they think anything? He's an Indian, ain't he? He's a Cheyenne. No, his name's Cullen and he's white. The army found him with them Indians, didn't they? The Indians stole him from Miss Cullen eight years ago, down on the Medicine River. You know that. I don't know it. Now, I hear it ain't her kid at all. He sure don't look like her. Why did you throw him out of here, Mr. Jonas? He was trying to buy ammunition for his sharps rifle. What? Said Miss Cullen one. Now, you know that's a lie. I'm telling you, Marshal, what with them Cheyenne loose, it ain't safe having a boy like that around. You ought to lock him up. He's not supplying the Cheyenne, Jonas, and don't worry about them. Colonel Honeyman's got two troops out after him. (laughs) He'll never catch him again. And I mean it about that boy, Marshal. You better lock him up before somebody knocks his brains out. Here's a lot of talk about him. Well, I don't want to hear any more of it. That boy's got a hard enough time ahead of him, as it is.
1: Uh, Mr. Dillon?
2: Yeah, what, Chester?
1: That Indian kid, he's starting a fight with some man. What? Yes, sir. Right in front of the Dodge house. And Mr. Dillon, that little boy's got a knife as long as his arm. <laughs> Just a few. I ain't never seen him before, but I hear he's been plaguing that boy lately.
2: So the boy came looking for him with a knife, huh? See,
1: hey, that man's got a knife out now.
2: All right, hold it, hey, mister. Right.
1: Let him alone, Marge. Move aside
2: there. All right, drop the knife, mister. Not hardly. Drop it. No. His kid's been asking for it. He started this. What's the matter with you fighting a boy?
9: Uh, 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 dirty little
18: savage.
13: Grab
2: the boy, Chester.
18: That's where I got him. Uh, uh, here now.
13: All
2: right, drop the knife, mister. He uh, H- cut me. You saw him. I'll open him up like a melon. No, you uh,
15: What?
4: What's
6: the matter with you,
4: Marshal?
2: I'll keep this knife. And if you're hurt so bad, go see Doc.
4: You're going to wish you hadn't mixed in this.
2: Am I? All right, I'll take the boys' knife, Chester. Here he is. All right, son, you come with me. i going to take you home before you kill somebody. To talk about it, son?
23: Name Vho Khan.
2: Vio Khan, huh? Uh does that mean something to the Cheyenne?
23: It mean white boy.
2: Oh, I see. Well, uh, Vihokan, you want to tell me why you fought that man?
23: Man talked bad to me. Hit me in mouth, kick me. Different man give me big knife. Then I fight. You stop or I'll kill him. Make big coup.
2: You're not a brave, V. O. You're not an Indian. You're white. You got to remember that.
23: V. O. Khan have many Indian brothers.
2: Ah, but you're home now. You're living among white men. You have a white mother. You got to stop thinking like an Indian or you're going to get into real trouble.
23: Mrs. Cullen talk hard at V. O. Khan for fight. No understand. Ah,
2: she'll understand, all right. That's why I came home with you. Now, let's go in, and I'll tell her that it wasn't your fault.
19: That you, Dennis? Where have you been? Oh, Marshal Dillon. Come
2: in. Hello, Miss Cullen.
19: Came home with Dennis? Name Vijo Khan. No Dennis. Please, Dennis. Let's don't argue that now. And look at you. Where are your shoes? No wear shoes. Your shirt. I've made you such nice shirts. You can't run around in nothing but a pair of pants. Oh, You'll be the death of me yet, Marshal. No do harm to you. Oh, I know that, Dennis. You just don't understand yet, do you? You go to your room now and put on those shoes the soldiers give you. And a shirt, too. A nice blue shirt, hmm? I go. And take that arrow point out of your hair. Sit down, Marshal.
2: Oh, thank you, ma'am.
19: It's not easy. A woman of 40, a widow, raising a boy like that.
2: No, ma'am, I know.
19: But I want to. And I've got to.
2: What? What do you mean, Miss Cullen?
19: He's a white boy. Anybody can see that. But he isn't mine, Marshal. What? I knew he wasn't the first day I went to Fort Dodge to see him. He's not my son. But he's the same age, and I've given him the same name, and I treat him just like he was. No, he won't suffer for lack of a mother's love. I promise that.
2: I'm sure he won't, ma'am.
19: Why did you bring him home, Marshal?
2: You heard about the Cheyennes, the band he was taken with.
19: They'd broken out of Fort Dodge.
2: Now well, the boys heard it too, Miss Cullen.
19: Why do you say that?
2: Ma'am, you own a sharps rifle.
19: Well, yes. It was Mr. Cullen's. The very one he died fighting with on the Medicine River.
20: But why?
2: Well, Dennis tried to buy ammunition for it today what mr jonas thinks he's planning to help those indians
20: but
19: how what could he do
2: i don't know but until they're rounded up again a lot of people in dodge are going to be pretty jumpy some of them have already caused trouble for the boy they have he got into a fight with a grown man today and he cut him up some oh, no it wasn't his fault miss cullen but now well, that's the sort of thing that can happen more and more
19: if you're saying I should give him up, I won't.
2: Ah, uh, no ma'am. I...
19: He needs his own people. He needs a mother. Just like my own boy needs one if he's still alive somewhere.
2: All I'm saying, ma'am, is that you got to keep him here at the house till that scare about the Cheyenne is over. If you let him run around town, I I'm, I'm going to have to lock him up for his own protection.
1: Mr. Dillon?
2: Oh, that's Chester.
1: Come in, Chester. Thank you.
2: Why, well, Colonel Honeyman. I'm sorry to intrude, ma'am. Hello, Marshal. Colonel. I, uh, I'd like to talk to the boy, Mrs. Cullen. Talk to? Oh, him. Is there something wrong, Colonel? You know who Little Wolf is? Yeah, he's chief of the Cheyenne on the Darlington Reservation, isn't he? They were, Darlington. I just had word they've broken out and are headed this way. Three hundred of them. Oh, I see. Obviously, they're coming to meet the Indians who escaped Fort Dodge yesterday.
19: What does this have to do with your wanting to talk to Dennis, Colonel?
2: I want him to tell me where their point of rendezvous is. How would Dennis know? Well, Indians scatter when they're being pursued, Mrs. Cullen. They secretly regroup at a given point later. And every man, woman, and child of them knows well in advance where that point is. But
19: Dennis isn't... I'll call him. Dennis? Dennis? you call the colonel, Please, son. It's Dennis now. Come in here. Colonel Hunnaman wants to talk to you. <coughs> <coughs> uh.
2: Hello. Hello, boy.
23: Soldier? Want to talk with me?
2: Uh. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh. Tell me, uh, do you know Little Wolf? Little Wolf, Chief. Good Chief. Well, uh, he, he was maybe, but he, he's done a bad thing now. No. He left reservation. He's going to join Long Knife. Long Knife, my chief. Dennis, don't say that. Let him talk, Miss Cullen. Long
23: Knife Escape.
2: Yes. He and the others you were with burned their barracks at Fort Dodge and killed three soldiers.
23: Fijo Kahn, no.
2: Well, I'm sure you do. And you also know where Long Knife is meeting Little Wolf and his people. If if, if you tell me, you'll save lives, Vho Khan. Not only of those soldiers, but of of those of your people, too. Can you? Please, Miss Cullen.
1: Tell me, Vho Khan.
23: Dennis, not no meeting place. <sighs>
2: Well, you can't beat it out of him, Colonel. No. Well, I'm sorry to have bothered you, Mrs. Cullen. Goodbye. I'll go with you, Colonel. Uh, Miss Cullen, uh, will you remember what I said?
19: I'll keep an eye on him, Marshal.
1: Fine.
2: Goodbye. Goodbye. Miss Cullen. Chester. That was a waste of time. Well, what are your plans now, Colonel? Plans? Marshal, I was down to half strength when Longknife broke out. And now, with two troops after him, I haven't enough men left for the post-fatigue detachments, let alone to scout the country. Oh. Uh, you, uh, want civilian help? No, no. It'd only end in a massacre of some kind. So I'll have to do the best I can. Well... Good luck. Yeah. Well, that boy could have helped. You better keep a close watch on him, Marshal. All right, let's get back to the fort, Sergeant. Yes, sir.
1: Mr. Dillon? Yeah, what, Chester? I've been thinking... If Army had left them Indians alone in the first place, they wouldn't be in all this trouble.
2: Yeah. But that's not for us to decide. All right, let's go
22: Kitty, mm-hmm. how about you? More
23: coffee? Ah. No, thanks, Doc.
2: Uh, you, Matt? Yeah, I think I'll have some, Doc, just a little. Good,
23: good. Uh, you know, that coffee is three parts chicory and one part lye. Oh, that's why it needs a little cream, Kitty. It softens it a bit. <laughs> kind of hard on the cream. <laughs> yeah, We should have gone up to my office. I'd have made us
2: some real coffee. Now, why didn't you ask us up to supper, Doc?
23: Oh, so I said coffee, not
1: a whole meal. <laughs>
23: oh, I'd have cooked it, Doc. Oh, you, on that stove of mine, you would have, eh? Yeah. You know I learned to cook on an open fire. You did? Not on the prairie, in a fireplace. We couldn't afford a stove. In fact, we couldn't afford much of anything. We couldn't pick up off the ground. <laughs> well, you're rich now. Oh,
19: sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, oh, Marshal, oh,
2: I'm Miss Collins. What, what's the trouble?
19: He's gone, Marshal. What? Dennis. Dennis, he's gone.
2: Well, well, gone where? I don't know. Well, where did you see him last?
19: After supper. We ate early, and then I had a talk with him. I told him how much I love him and, and how I need him. And then I told him about how people in Dodge feel right now. And that until things changed, he'd have to stay at home. Well, he didn't say much, but he went to his room, and I sat out on the porch for a while. Then I heard a noise out back. And when I looked, he was gone.
2: Well, maybe he's just wandering around somewhere.
19: No, he's gone.
2: Well, how do you know
19: That arrow point he always wants to tie in his hair. He took that, Marshal. So? That isn't all. He took his horse, too. He's gone to join the Cheyenne, Marshal. And you've got to go after him. Right now.
9: (laughs)
2: There was no way to pick up the boy's trail that night, but next morning Chester and I rode out after him. We tracked him all that day, all the next, southeast, into the gypsum hills country. The land was different down there, dotted with buttes and cut by narrow winding canyons. This was ambush country, and ideal for what Colonel Honeyman called a rendezvous point. We traveled slowly, eyes open, ready for trouble. And then finally, the trail led down into a rocky canyon. And at the bottom, we found the boy, crouched over a small fire. He acts like he's waiting for us, Mr. Dillon. I wish he'd waited somewhere more open. I don't like being boxed up down here.
1: I got kind of a spooky feeling, too.
2: Yeah. All right, let's leave him here, Chester. All right, sir.
23: Marshal make long ride. Catch me, Khan.
2: Well, you travel fast, son.
23: White lady send Marshal...
2: Miss Cullen's mighty worried about you.
23: Soldier, he worried too?
2: No, Colonel Honeyman didn't send me. He follow? No, he didn't follow.
23: Silajo, niyaba!
2: What's he yelling about? Look over there, Chester.
1: Over what? Oh, my goodness. Indians. Oh, there must be 20 of them. Don't move. Oh, I ain't about to.
2: Yeah, they're warriors. Every one of them. name little
1: wolf that's the chief colonel honeyman said was meeting him cheyenne that busted out of port
2: dodge yeah and the boy knew where they were meeting all the time you tell vhokan soldiers not follow the soldiers are hunting for you little wolf but they're not with us
23: vhokan say
2: little wolf can believe marshal You can believe me. We came alone. We came to take the boy back home. Viho Khan no like life with white men. Well, he'll get used to it. He belongs with his own people, Little Wolf.
4: Little Wolf say all men free. Viho Khan must make own choice.
2: He's too young. He doesn't know what's best for him. If he make mistake, his mistake. Boy never become man. Other people make choice for him. Little Wolf, this boy's not an Indian. He's white. And if he stays with you and Long Knife, you know what'll happen to him. he live like Indian. He'll die like an Indian, too. The soldiers are after you, and sooner or later they'll find you. And when they do, there'll be a big battle, and many of your people will die. Perhaps the boy will die with him. V-ho Khan, not afraid. You're white, V-ho Khan. You're not an Indian. This is not your fight.
23: White people treat Vihokan bad. Kick, beat, call names. Mrs. Cullen no not understand Vihokan. Nobody understand.
2: Well, it takes time, Vihokan. Boy, decide. If you want to come with Cheyenne, you no stop. Well, we'd have a hard time, to against 20. If you fight, we kill you. Look, son, before you decide You remember, these Indians are poorly armed Probably a lot of them are sick When winter comes, many will die And the soldiers will get to rest
23: Soldier not like Indian Soldier get tired, go back Indian go north, powder river home Hunt, fish again White people, not my people. Fihokan stay with Indian.
4: Vihokan decide. Leave now.
2: Maybe someday come back. Great chief. Not with the army, chasing you.
4: Medicine River Vihokan. Did
9: you
2: hear what he's saying? Yeah. Medicine River V. Hook Medicine River White Boy. Ain't
1: that where Ms. Cullen lost her son? Yeah. Then he is her boy after all.
2: And she didn't recognize him. He must have changed a lot. You gonna tell her? <sighs> no, Chester. No, I'm not going to tell her.
11: Directed by Norman McDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. The special music for Gunsmoke was composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Bill James and Ray Kemper. Featured in the cast were Sammy Og, Virginia Gregg, Joseph Kearns, Harry Bartell, John Daner, and Ralph Moody. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Remember, listen to Gunsmoke again on radio next week for another transcribed story of the western frontier when Matt Dillon, Chester Proudfoot, Doc, and Kitty, together with all the other hard-living citizens of Dodge, will be with you once more. It's America growing west in the 1870s. It's Gunsmoke, brought to you by L&M Filters.
0: Yes, on CBS, September 24th, 1955. That was Gunsmoke. The name of that episode was Indian White. <laughs> That's going to kick things in the head for another week. Wow, Chester tells me we are totally out of time. And this is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me.